Welcome to the Recession Resistant Real Estate Radio, where we talk about real estate, passive investing, business strategies, and so much more. I'm your host, Brandon Cobb, CEO of HPG Capital. Now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. I just finished Warren Buffett's biography book called Snowball. And let me tell you, if you have not read this book, it is a game changer, especially if you own your own business, plan on owning your own business, or you are a entrepreneur wanting to be an entrepreneur. There are eight lessons that I wrote down in this book as I was listening to it, and they were a complete game changer. So I wanted to share those with you today because I know that this has definitely shifted some pretty big ideas that I want to implement in the way I want to live my life and the way I want to run my business. I've And I've learned something about myself. I've learned that when it comes to reading books versus listening to books, I gravitate towards listening to the biographies of the greats. So if it's like a story format, I tend to listen to those types of books more. And if it's more of like a technical book with a lot of concepts that you have to like read and implement and numbers, I like to read those books because I usually have to stop and, and reread. I am a very slow reader. I don't know what it is. I was not gifted with this amazing speed brain. I literally, when I read books, I probably read them two or three times in one sitting because I'm constantly having to go back and like reread if I don't understand something. So I think that, I think that maybe works in my benefit. I probably could absorb a lot more information, but this is something that's really worked for me. I'm always looking for ways to be more productive and make things more efficient. And so I've just learned that I retain a lot more information when I'm listening to the stories of people or it's like a really good storybook like The Go-Giver or you know, Warren Buffett Snowball. I'm about to start House of Morgan. After that, I want to re- uh, listen to Rockefeller's uh, book Titan and uh, then probably Andrew, Andrew Carnegie's. These were some, some recommended reading for, for entrepreneurs. So I uh, highly recommend Snowball. You've got to listen to this book. Uh, read it if you want to. It is a long book. I'm not going to lie. I think it said 28 hours on my Audible account. And I was like, oh, this is a lot. Man, I knocked it out in two weeks just listening to it at the gym. So it's a fantastic read here. So I want to share with you guys the $8 billion ideas that I got from this book. I've got them written down right now. And I want to try to like tell a story uh, behind each one. So we're going to jump into it. But before we do, if you get value from these podcasts, please do me a favor. Hit the review button on your phone. Just go to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, hit the review button. It helps the algorithm bump us up and deliver more fantastic content to you. And if you really get lots of value from it, share it with your friends and family. Um, Okay, that's enough. I'll hop off on that subject. So lesson number one that I took from this book is work for whom you admire. Warren Buffett was not able to get into, I believe it was Harvard Business School or, or Yale. It was a very prestigious Ivy League school. And uh, like he wrote letters to the office. He was really trying to get in. They straight up rejected him. But he was reading and studying and listening to you know what he wanted to do and realized that Benjamin Graham was his idol. Like He idolized this guy. He loved what he was doing with stocks. And I believe that Benjamin Graham was teaching in a university. And Warren Buffett went to go meet him, and Warren Buffett basically <laughs> threw himself on Benjamin Graham to try to go and, and work for him. So that that's a really big concept that I don't think a lot of people in our society really implement is going to work for those that they admire most. If everybody did that, 
I think we would literally be in a completely different world. Our culture teaches us to go to college and it kind of preps us for this rat race, hamster wheel job that we're going to end up hating every two or three years and, and having to go find something new. And then it's for a brief few, you know, maybe a year or two, it's like something new and, and then you aren't fulfilled. And then it's often a thing. That's why you see these resumes with only two or three years of experience on it for like eight, nine different jobs is no one can keep anybody because nobody's fulfilled. So that would be some advice that I would give some college students is figure out who you admire and try to go work for them. Just do whatever. Buffett was willing to do it for free. And I'm pretty sure that Benjamin Graham even told him after that, like, you're, you're still too much because I got to invest time in you. But he was able to pull it off and he was able to go and work for who he admired. So that's concept number one. Concept number two is behavior is what makes you wealthy, not making money. I know, I know so many people who go broke trying to look wealthy. I know people who make over $300,000 a year. They drive Tesla. They've even got like a second car, like a Lexus. Uh, they live in the best area. They travel all the time. Uh, they go to restaurants all the time. I mean, they, they're literally, I, th- I, th- I think they're like addicted to spending money. They have a horrible relationship with money. They literally save none of their money, but they live this amazing lifestyle. And, and hey, that's what makes you happy. You know, more power to you. But they are broke constantly, constantly broke. They have gotten used to a lifestyle that they really want. And it's really hard to go uh, back and away from that. And so this this concept of behavior makes wealth, not making money was really powerful hearing this from Warren Buffett because in the book, Warren talks about how he was able to successfully make money. And he was, he was literally, the behavior was being obsessed with saving money. It was also wanting to make money, but saving money so that he could invest it was what made him so rich in the long run. He had acquired over $250,000 in like the 60s or 70s. That's that's a, that's a lot of money. And he was still saving every penny. He was still renting his house. He would buy clothes every four or five years and he would buy crapola clothes. He did not buy nice cars. He ate at you know, like fast food places. He's famous for sitting down at these, these elephant buffing events where you've got the the elite of the elite and these private, you know, multi-million dollar residences cooked with private chefs. And he's sitting there and he's like sending this crazy food back that's been like flown in from Japan and served by this famous chef because he just wants a hamburger. That's that's like what this guy survived off of was cherry Coke and hamburgers. He was obsessed with saving money. That was his behavior. And so it's really motivated me to, you know, kind of look back, you know, look at my own uh, frivolous spending and see like, what can I cut down on? And, and luckily I just finished uh, an event, Tony Robbins Wealth Master a few weeks ago, and they hit on this very concept. And my wife and I sat down and actually looked at our budget and said, okay, you know, where can we trim? What can we do? And, and we actually had a much more solid game plan that we had before. And it unified us. And we felt like we were a team that was on this journey to, to like hit something. Right. So that was super cool. So that's concept number two. Uh, concept number three and you've probably heard this, but it's mentioned so many times in this book, it's never lose money. We focus so much on making money, whether it's stocks, bonds, or real estate, that we miss the true focus. The true focus is capital preservation, meaning when you look at an investment, we like to look at the upside. Oh my God, Bitcoin is going through the roof, right? That phase cratered and we see the effects of it. 
right? We got caught in the the get rich quick schemes, the people looking at their Ferraris and their bank accounts and how much money they had made gambling on crypto because the focus was on making money. He was obsessed with not losing money. So he was more focused on what is my downside risk? What can it go to? Not and, and not necessarily his upside. He did look at the upside and basically was like, if I can't make $5 for every $1 I can potentially invest and almost, uh, you know, buy, you know, buy with almost like no risk. That's what he wanted to do. And that's what kind of brings me to my, my next concept over here. Um, concept number three is he basically said that, um, he wanted to buy companies for less than book value. I'm looking at my notes over, over here. And what this basically means is when he was looking at buying a company, stock, ownership in that business, if he couldn't buy it for less than what the book value was, he didn't buy it. So what's the book value? The book value is if you fired everybody in the company and just liquidated all the assets, you would have more money than what you bought it for. And I think this is a genius concept because we use this in real estate a lot of the times where if we can buy something for less than what it costs to build it, why not do that? You know, if I can, I can buy a, a portfolio of homes for a lot less than what it costs me to build them. Well, that might not be a bad idea right there. If I liquidated everything, could I get more for it than what I bought it for? Very simple concept that I don't think a lot of people uh, do, but it's a really great idea of, of seeing what he used to limit his downside and, and protect his investment. So really great concept buy companies or buy assets for less than what their book value worth. If you had to sell it today and you could get a value for it, buy it for less than that. Um, concept number, I think we're on number five. He's, he always partnered with people. And this was interesting. You know, to this day, Berkshire is very famous for, you know, buying companies, but leaving that founder, that CEO in role. They don't want to be in charge of running the operations of Coca-Cola. They don't want to be in charge of running the operations of Geico. They want to set it and forget it. And so this concept of always partnering went back to him as a kid. He would uh, always partner with things. He had these pinball machines that he, I think it was one of his first business ideas. I remember this story from the book. Uh, he, he had a newspaper and he had these pinball machines and he would always like partner, like he would give a portion of the profits or pay like a rent fee to the owner of the places. And he would go and he would set his pinball machines up in there and he would go like every Wednesday and, and get the money. And what he would do with that money, he'd go buy another pinball machine and he'd go to another owner of another business that had high traffic and he'd give them a cut if they could, if he could put his pinball machine in there. He was obsessed with partnering. And, you know, this is a concept that I, I feel like I've had to learn the hard way because I, I've always been a doer, right? I'm not a who not how. I used to not be a who not how guy. I was always a how guy. How do I do this? How do I figure this out? You know, we, we, we bootstrapped ourselves and started building houses. We didn't go out and hire a builder. We became a builder and we've learned a lot of hard lessons from that. And we've paid the, the not knowing tax, but he would always partner on things from a very young age, finding great operators to run it while he supplied the capital or did some kind of additional value add. So that was a huge takeaway that I got from that. Uh, number six is build a reputation. So this is something really interesting that I have discovered in our world. You know, our world is, is centered around finding fantastic assets, uh, and operators 
or operating it ourselves, working with world-class operators and being involved in the management and raising capital for deals, finding fantastic investment opportunities. And when he was starting out, it took him about six years to raise money. And he was delivering a 27% return in the old days, which is fantastic. So he was able to raise money pretty quick, but he had built this reputation. And in the capital raising world, really, there's a point you want to get to where if you've returned your investor's capital enough times and turned and burned it, they start referring people to you. And this is an interesting concept. It's called raving fans. If you, you know, I'm a big Tony Robbins fan. So I'm going to talk about another event I went to. I went to his business mastery event and there's these like seven or eight critical stages of a business. And the very final one is right dead smack in the middle of the bullseye. And it says create raving fans. If you can create raving fans with your product and service, you never need to advertise. And if you never need to market or have a sales team to sell products, your business is going to do just fine. And that's what Tony Robbins has done. He's creating raving fans that recommend his products. He doesn't have to sell them. They sell themselves. Elon Musk has done the same with Tesla. He doesn't even have to advertise. The cars sell themselves. Those are what make a truly fantastic business. And it starts with building a reputation. That is the key. Delivering on your promises and giving consistent, amazing customer service, which ties into my next concept. I didn't even plan this. This is, this is like a perfect segue from one billion dollar idea to the next billion dollar idea. Uh, number seven is he said when he would make a decision or he was thinking whether or not he should make a decision to do something, he asked himself one simple question and that dictated whether or not he went and move forward with it. And that question was, do I want this to be in a newspaper? Or would I be okay with this being in a newspaper? If the answer to that is no, don't do that thing. I thought this was an amazing idea. And you know, for us, we get caught up in business and making all these decisions, but what kind of framework do we use to construct and make decisions? I thought this was a great one to add. So super impressed. So if you're trying to do something, ask yourself, do I want, If am I okay with this being uh, in a newspaper? And then the final eighth one is when it comes to business, he was absolutely obsessed with controlling overhead. He said this was an integral part of his success because he would go through, uh, you know, when he would buy these businesses, he would, he would go through times of, of, of severe cash flow. Uh, sometimes the, the business would hemorrhage money. The, uh, General Lee was an insurance company he bought that literally lost like $3 billion in uh, bad insurance policies. And then they had this big scandal where they had a, a fraudulent activity. They were working with AIG and, and put $500 million in the AIG to kind of like juice up their books. It was just pure fraud. People ended up going uh, to jail over it. But he he would figure out how to control overhead in these companies. And and that was kind of like his value add and his assistance in that was a big part of his success is how can we get the overhead low? And eventually General Lee actually, like, I think they tripled in value, went from like, I think four or $5 billion to 12, 13, 14, $15 billion with one third less people. That is efficiency. That's, that's amazing to me. Increasing profits with less people, so controlling overheads. So these are the $8 billion ideas I got from this book. Let me know what you think of these. This was really eye-opening for me. And uh, I don't know, maybe on some of the next books, we'll, we'll do the same thing. We'll catch you next time.